Their small commercial plane was about 20 minutes north of Charleston, descending through a thick blanket of cumulus clouds to an altitude of 10,000 feet. Once they cleared the clouds, the landscape of the low country burst into view. Waves of bright green Spartna covered former rice fields and marshlands, their blades standing in sharp contrast against the sparkling blue majestic waters of the Waccamaw River. Olivia was mesmerized. Nick's delight at the scene, and most especially at her reaction, was very nearly a tangible thing. Behold paradise, Nick said dramatically, exhaling a gush of relief. The sluices of water cutting through the marsh grass and tendrils. Just like the ringlets on the back of Miss Scarlet's pretty little head, she said in a terrible southern accent. Then she cut her eye at him and smiled. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so cynical. You're going to love living here. I swear you will, Nick said, saying a silent prayer that the low country would work its magic on her. And your pretty cynicism will roll away on the turn of the next tide. I've always enjoyed the time we've spent here, she said. But it was one thing to stay at the gorgeous Charleston Place Hotel and have room service, and quite another to live on the tip of an island in a funky old beach house. Her eyes were focused on the landscape as it rose to meet them. His eyes were focused on her. Cue up the theme song from out of Africa. Her thick blonde hair was pulled back in a ponytail that drifted down her back. She was wearing a straw fedora and all white linen, even though it was before Memorial Day. A bona fide New Yorker, Olivia didn't give one tiny damn about when she wore white. She had her own rules. He loved her in hats. And in white, it reminded him of her tangled in their sheets. Nick was all too aware of her shaky feelings about the move. That's why he went along with the house she chose. To be honest, he was uncertain about which house she actually did choose. They had looked at so many he couldn't remember. To be more honest, he didn't care one whit. He was one step closer to coming home, and that was all that mattered to him. He knew the renovation of any of the old houses would be a huge project, and Olivia loved nothing better than a huge project. Nick thought if he was right that the house she did choose was hideous, but she said she saw potential everywhere. Where, he thought, he couldn't see potential in any of them. The good news was that all the houses were in such disrepair that his relatives, distant as they were, and old friends, wouldn't be offended by a vulgar display of wealth. At the heart of it all, he was an island boy, a Geechee boy, a low country boy. Low-keyed discretion was the name of the game for his tribe. Olivia had made at least a half a dozen trips without him back and forth between New York and the island to work on the house, staying in a hotel close by. Surely just the time spent there on renovations had made her feel some ownership, some affection for the island. Nick felt certain that if he could get her to walk along the ocean with him, as the sun was setting. The salt water would exercise her urban demons, maybe through her feet, pulling them right out to the endless sea like a magnet. Over time, her heart would soften. It had to, or what? Why can I never remember how beautiful this is? She asked in a whisper. Because it changes with the seasons, and because it's really just so glorious our brains can't hold the entire memory. 
maybe. You know, when I was a boy, someone told me a story about how angels have different jobs. Some watch over drunks and babies, but others paint sunsets and color landscapes. That would be a cool job, wouldn't it? If you believe in that stuff. Ah, my lovely doubting Thomasina. He took her hand in his and patted the back of it. He meant the gesture to say that here in God's country, she would find faith. In time, you will see wondrous things. My daddy called it reading the signs and wonders. Nick was ready to wax euphoric then. He could have gone on for hours. But the flight attendant picked up the microphone to address the passengers, and although there was an onslaught of static and blank moments of completely missing communication, he knew exactly what she was saying. It was time to close the germ-ridden tray table, press the swarmy, germy button to raise the seat back, and yes, to check the germ-infested with something really scary buckle on his seatbelt to be sure he didn't go flying when the pilot stomped the brakes, as though he was going to slide into the face of the Rocky Mountains at the Telluride Airport, one of the scariest landings he had ever endured. He worried about plane crashes and sometimes obsessed about germs. Okay, he was a germaphobe, 